Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. The Tech Beat. The Tech Beat. With Andy Wells. Dell's most meticulously crafted machine ever. The new Dell XPS 13. Verified for exceptional experiences anywhere. Visit dell.com.au. Well, today we're talking vacuum cleaners, digging a bit deeper into what they dig up. And joining me is Dyson engineer Jonathan McGacky. G'day, Jonathan. Hi, Andy. Nice to be with you today. Thank you very much for joining me all the way from the UK. Now, as mentioned, you're an engineer or a system engineer with Dyson. What's the pathway into a job like that? There's lots of different pathways that you could come into a job like that. Um, you can go through different apprenticeship schemes. Um, you could come through a scheme like we actually have at uh, Dyson called the, the Dyson Institute, uh, where we bring in um, students after they're 18 and they do days in the workspace with us and also days at university and they get their degree that way. Um, or you can go the way I went, which is just straight through university uh, and come through uh, doing, I did mechanical engineering, but there's lots of different engineering roles that could lead into my role. Now, I think it's fair to say that most people would assume that um, vacuum cleaning manufacturers would just focus on how well their machines suck, that is, suck things up. Um, but as I saw recently on my virtual tour of Dyson Labs, it's definitely not the case. So what are some of the other considerations that come into play when creating vacuum cleaner products? Yeah, it's definitely, I think, the thing that people look for on a box when they go to buy a product. They're like, how much suction does it have? But fundamentally, it's there's a second part of that of how long do you have that suction for? Um, so at Dyson, we call that no loss of suction or end loss for short. Uh, and, and that's a really, really important thing that we've kind of almost, uh, that James built the company upon is that your, your vacuum cleaner should have the same performance on day one as it does uh, after you use it that first time. So you shouldn't lose anything. Um, and that then leads into the next two points, I think, in terms of uh, that. So you, you, you pick it up, you pick up your dust, which is fantastic, you've picked it up. But if you don't keep it inside the machine, it's not really very good because then it's just putting it into the air around you. So that's where filtration is the next key message. And it's not just the filter itself, but the whole machine filtration. So things like your seals that are often uh, left out in the engineering process. And then finally, I think uh, in recent years, we've kind of had a push um, towards usability it's really important that people um, find it easy to clean. It's not a chore is the idea. So we've moved to using cordless machines at Dyson, and that's just about usability and making it easier for people to clean. Going back to talking about what vacuum cleaners are picking up, does Dyson do a lot of work around examining exactly what's being sucked up in people's vacuum cleaners? Yeah, we've been doing this obviously for quite a number of years now, and we've had a focus on, on real world. You know, standards are great but you have to make sure you know what's going on in the real world. Um, so we actually collect employees' dusts like my own, uh, and we have an in-house facility, which I think you've seen briefly, where we're able to test that safely. Um, and, and that means that we're really testing the product with real dust and not just anything else. We also are, I think, I believe, the only manufacturer to have our own in-house microbiology facilities. We have our own dust mite farms, which is as creepy as it sounds, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, but that's the kind of levels that we'll go to to make sure we understand real world what's in people's homes. Now, you mentioned just a, a couple of minutes ago talking about the, uh, the idea of making vacuuming easy, less of a chore. How has vacuum technology changed over the past decades um, around that? I mean, I, I guess the popularity of the, the stick vacuum cleaner comes into that. Yeah. For sure. I, and I think that's maybe the, the latest or one of the latest changes. But I think that we, you have to go all the way back really to the cyclones and the cyclonic technology um, that, that James came up with 
um, over 20 years ago now. Uh, and that's where we um, we start because, you know, before that, every vacuum cleaner lost its suction. It, it, you know, you had to replace that bag and it wasn't fantastic. So it was that push forward was the big innovation. Then you move to things like the Dyson ball that we've had, which makes it more maneuverable. And that was the first step in kind of that, that usability journey. Um, we move into, you know, the battery technology that had to be developed and come along so far to make the cord free machines feasible. And now we're getting to the stage where those batteries are good enough to really give you um, that full machine performance. So it's fantastic that you're able to go cordless and still have that full machine performance. And as I think we push into the future years and right now where we are, we look at a message of intelligence and trying to give people more controlling of their cleaning and more understanding of their clean so that they can do a better job themselves. Now, you mentioned the dust mite farm that you guys like to have up there. Thinking about that, many people just think of the things that you can see being picked up by vacuum cleaners. You know, the, the dirt and dust, the obvious things, animal hair, confetti, um, as I load that uh, vacuum sales people uh, enjoy showing people. So apart from dust mites, what else is my vacuum cleaner potentially gathering up that I can't see that I guess the, the laboratories do find? There's such a wide range of things that you, that you might see, unfortunately, that, that aren't, well, I say see that you won't see because uh, they're unavailable to the eye. Uh, and, and some of those, just to give you a wide range, you know, there's lots of different allergens and we'll touch on those in a second, but there's molds, there's bacterias, there's the fungi that causes those molds. There's uh, what we refer to as dander, and that's just a nice word for uh, your skin cells uh, and your animals, if you have any pets, their skin cells. And what gets even worse is it's not just dust mites, but it's the, the dust mite feces that is the problem. And, and a lot of people, when they refer to a dust allergy, they don't realize that what they're actually referring to is a dust mite feces allergy, because uh, it's the protein within those feces that that often cause people to be allergic to to dust itself. Talk about opening a can of worms, because I, I had one of these um, uh, analysis reports given to me on on dust collected around my house, and of course we've got uh, we've got quite a few pets. Um, uh, I've actually got a greyhound sitting either side of me where I am in the studio right now. Um, and um, as soon as I uh, had a look at that report and, and had a look at the, the tour of the Dyson uh, facility there, I pulled out the vacuum cleaner and <laughs> did a quick run around the, uh, the studio knowing that, uh, you know, that I guess your pets leave more than just the, uh, the obvious maybe pet hair as well. Now, which leads me on to my next question. Do all vacuum cleaners collect these particles that we can't see? Um, I, I think it would be unfair to really talk about uh, our competitors, but uh, what I can say is that when we, we talk about Dyson machines, our focus is on the whole machine and its filtration. It's not just about talking about a fancy filter. Um, we, we don't talk about just how our filter does it. We always talk about whole machine filtration. Um, and, and that means that we've got a real focus on the filter. Um, um, previously in my role, I, I did more design work than system work. Uh, and, and I worked on one of the filters in one of our products and I ended up spending uh, six months of my life that I'll never get back on one seal um, because we wanted to make sure that that seal worked 100% of the time uh, under any condition. So we did lots of different testing on that to make sure. And that's just the, uh, one example of the type of links that we'll go to uh, to make sure that the product's sealing correctly and that the user is getting that safe function because to us it is safety when we're talking about emissions from a, a vacuum cleaner. As you can tell, I'm really caught up on some of these microscopic particles and uh, and things that are captured um, uh, as you vacuum. 
Um, now, because you've got the, the laboratories there and, and you, you are analysing what, what people are picking up, are there any trends that speaks to how we live in, in the current day, the things that are being sucked up that might be a little more unusual than your, I guess, your, your allergens and your moulds? Yeah, I think that, that's a really good point. And, uh, and it would be good to state before we even get into the details that, you know, dust is largely the same all over the world. Okay. Um, and really the biggest factors that impact its competition or its composition, I should say, is what's going on outdoors, but then what's also being brought indoors by that stuff. So um, you've got your indoor inhabitants, but then you've also got what's going on outdoors to be brought inside. So if we if we start outdoors, what you're starting to see in the world a lot more now is, is these microplastics, uh, these fine pieces of rubber that are coming from things like tires, from our clothing. We use a lot more synthetics in clothing and in the world generally. So there's a lot more of these natural, these uh, inorganic fibers floating around that don't really break down, and they're they're quite fine. Um, and we're bringing more of that into our homes than ever before. Uh, when we go outside, there's more of it there, so we bring more of it into our homes. So you don't expect to find small pieces of rubber in your air, but they are there, and they're on the floor, and they're in the environment all around you. So that's, I think, a worrying trend that has started to ha- happen, uh, and it's not something we would want to continue. But the other worrying thing is in dust reports, we've also seen things like ash, soot and steel um, particles being found. Now, that really means that what's happening is we're ventilating our homes to get nice fresh air in. Um, but in the process, we're, we're probably bringing in ash and soot and, and some of these metal particles from other things. It may be that the medical particles are from our, ourselves. And, you know, if we're doing DIY at home, we might be putting some of those metal particles into the air. And then the final point, I think, is about the, the what we produce and what we put into the environment. I heard a, a scary fact the other day that um, we as humans, we produce uh, about a packet of crisps of dust a week ourselves in, in mass. So like 25-ish grams of dust is what we produce ourselves, each person. So if you think every person you've got in your home, you're producing that. Every probably animal isn't a, a million miles off that as well. So if people ask, well, where is this all this dust coming from, you know, it probably is yourself, unfortunately. Um, And if we have a a full household of people, what we're providing really is a really good food source for dust mites. So unfortunately, skin cells and the pet dander are what those dust mites feed on. So there's also a growing, uh, you know, ability there. And with lockdowns that are happening all over the world, we're spending even more time in those environments. So it's really important that that we're uh, keeping a, a good, clean environment for ourselves. Yeah, look, I, I was wondering where all that dust was coming from. We've got a lot of uh, floorboards in our house, and so you you tend to uh, to spot these um, tumbleweeds of dust that's just suddenly come out of nowhere, and I'll have to start pointing the finger. Can't, it mustn't be me, of course. Yeah, I actually got asked recently about uh, dust bunnies, as they referred to, um, and people were like, well, what's in a dust bunny? And it's a really interesting point in that... Um, People assume they're this big lump of dust, but they didn't start their life that way. Um, They start their life normally as a human hair or a a pet hair of some form. And what happens is our hair is naturally oily. Um, and, And that's really good for us, but that's really bad because dust is able to then stick to it. And over time, you end up with this this buildup of dust and more hairs cling on and you get this little ball building up. So it's really just a, a mangle of lots of different dusts uh, in, a, in a dust ball and it creeps across our floor, which I think is why it gets that little dust bunny name. All right, Jonathan, so just to finish up, with all of this in mind, where or what should I be vacuuming um, that I may not be now? Like, obviously, I vacuum carpets, floorboards, 
things like that, maybe around windowsills. But what are the places that maybe I, I should be vacuuming that I'm not? Yeah, there's lots of little places that we forget about that we don't. It's the places we don't think about, and it's quite often the places we spend the most time and vacuum the least. So one really good example is is our beds and our bedrooms. Um, we spend a third of our lives in our beds, and every time I, I think of that fact, I'm like, that's crazy. But it is true, uh, and that's somewhere that we forget about. So it's not just uh, about cleaning your home. You also need to clean your mattress, and that's something that we forget. So things like your bed sheets, your bed pillows, your duvets, they can all be put into the washing machine and put onto a hot wash. Now, people are more and more moving to cold washes, and that's great for the environment, but we also need to be cautious of our living environment. So what we need to do is wash those on a hot wash because it helps to break down the the proteins in the, in the allergens inside of those sheets and remove as much of it from them uh, as possible from our linens. But then we also need to probably twice to three times a year clean our mattresses. So, you know, we provide a Dyson a mini motorized head, which is a, a little small one that's perfect for mattresses. Uh, and what you can do is just go across it gently into put it into its boost mode or its highest suction mode for any vacuum cleaner uh, and pass it across the top um, of the mattress. And you will be shocked, I think, at how much you find. I always am. And I say shocked, also slightly disgusted. Um, we are we are not the cleanest of animals, unfortunately. Um, and that's one place that we forget a lot of the time. I think another one, um, especially for someone like yourself, pet beds. Um, we don't clean our pet beds particularly often. Uh, and I think that's another one that needs to be clean. And you can vacuum them or depending on the make, you could possibly put them through uh, a washing machine as well. Um, sofas, armchairs, again, soft furnishings, we spend a lot of time on them. So therefore, we're providing food sources for dust mites. So we really need to keep on top of those. Uh, and then you get into the kind of more abstract ones that are just as dangerous, but we forget about. So as um, in the UK, we're entering the winter months, for example, not as applied to you, but radiators are, are a terrible example because a lot of the heat convection currents come up and there's dust behind there. So you're making all that dust airborne. So it's an area that's often forgot about that can do real damage. We move into the kitchen and you've got things like your fridge. Uh, around the back of the fridge, there is huge amounts of dust often, often built up on our cooling elements. And it, it's really important that we clean those for two reasons. One, it makes your fridge work better. And two, it removes that dust from the environment so it can't be aerosolized and, and pr produced around the room. Um, things like our extraction units, we often don't clean on top of those. And whenever we turn on the extraction, we you know, make all that airflow move around in the kitchen and we disturb that dust and put it up into the air. And I think the final one I'll touch on just to completely blitz you with lots of option here is, is light bulbs. Um, you know, light bulbs get a little bit warm and if there's dust sitting on top of them, what you happen is that dust starts to burn and you won't smell it, but it'll be releasing VOCs into our environment. And that sometimes can be a really nasty odor, but it's, it's not good to have those, uh, those gases uh, in and around the environment we're living in. <laughs> The Tech Beat will now terminate. Visit techdaily.com.au. Dell's most meticulously crafted machine ever. The new Dell XPS 13. Verified for exceptional experiences anywhere. Visit dell.com.au. A lot of food for thought there, as well as food for dust mites from our conversation, I believe. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time again today. No problem. Thank you very much, Andy. 